All right, guys, before we kick this shit off, I have got to address something that is driving me nuts. The more of you guys I talk to and I look at the inner workings of how you communicate with prospects and clients, the inefficiencies are absolutely insane. You're dealing with some, you know, Google Sheets that are duct taped together with Zapier or just some really messy, inefficient, like a, a coach text messages from their cell phone and then you don't know what was said and emails are coming from different, like it is just a shit show. And listen, I understand. I was like it. I, I ran my business like that in the early days and then I got flex. My website and CRM management solution. These guys are able to go ahead and create a custom branded website that meets the needs of my story, what urban movement my company tells to the world. It's not some template that they rinse and repeat and give to every other gym so you have no identifiable digital you know, persona, and then it ties into your CRM. That way, if you ever need to create a landing page, boom, Flex does that too, by the way, right there, built in, no need for click funnels. All the leads that come in there go right in my CRM. Any leads that come in through text messaging go right in my CRM. It makes it so efficient and so easy. They even have recipes and workflow that you can create and install that exist on your CRM. So as new employees come in, you can show them this is exactly what our 30-day workflow looks like for a new client or this is our follow-up and reactivation campaign for prospects. It is the best tool that I have ever installed and I have it in both my businesses, Urban Movement and WTF Gym Talk. I cannot recommend enough for any of you guys who are looking to step up your site game, develop a quality client relationship management workflow, go to flex.co backslash WTF. That is flex, F-L-E-X-X.co backslash WTF. Schedule a demo with my boy, Joe. You guys know him. You know what a branding and marketing and client experience genius he is. He is my personal business coach in that world. I can't recommend it enough. Guys, Let's get into the podcast. I don't think we've ever had a problem. No, we never have a problem fucking talking. And uh, and nobody ever has a problem listening. People actually listen to the rest of this. You hear that, you fuckers? We appreciate you <laughs> listening all the way through. So what's up, guys? It's uh, it's Stu, and I've got my boy. We are back. Joe. It's been a while. It is the Jamming with Joe podcast. Um, yeah. Joe, last time you were in it, we were just talking self-made summit stuff. It's got to be so- like over a month. Oh, yeah. that's right. That's yeah, right. we did we our self-made summit thing. Quick flip, yeah. Yep. So again, if you haven't signed up for that yet, there is still two and a half tickets or something like that. And if you sweet talk Isaac and you whatever, you fucking she'll she'll maybe give you another seat. She'll find some way to arrange tables or get another table or force the speakers to take one more person in. So if you guys want to come in and you have not bought a ticket yet, hit me up. Would love to have you come to the self-made summit. Otherwise, I, I haven't used my plus one yet. So you, yeah, can you, drop, you go with Joe. That's right. You can drop in my DMs. But I've got the remote access now. So now you don't even that's have to true. attend the self-made summit and yeah. you can still hear all the keynotes and the Q&As. Um, so anyway, there's the plug. And let's get into some other fun shit. Let's talk. Me and Joe, I, we've been talking about – I went and got drinks with Joe at the the bar that we rented out for the self-made summit because I needed to test test drive some of their beverages. for the, the We have custom drinks at the self-made summit. We're currently playing with two ideas. My original was I have two drinks. Um, one was going to be an old-fashioned fuckface, a play on a, a typical old-fashioned. And then the other one I had was um, – it's not supposed to say fuckface lemonade. It's actually supposed to be self-made lemonade. Oh, I see. Because I just like how that sounds better. Self-made lemonade. Something light and airy for the ladies and the, the guys that are like ladies. And uh, and then <laughs> and then old-fashioned fuckface for the real fucking men. I just love Sally's lemonade. Yeah, so Sally's lemonade – yeah, I, I just think, feel like that works so well. I think Joe's right. And so it's going to be just like – The uh, fuck do I know about brand? You ever had yeah. Deep Eddie's? No. Deep Eddie's is like a, a lemonade brand. 
or of lemonade Deep brand. Ice. It's a fucking vodka brand that they have different flavors. It's fucking amazing. Um, so anyway, those are going to be the two signature drinks. There'll be beer, wine, all that good stuff. Um, I'm buying, but technically you fuckers bought it. So, um, <laughs> and then we'll have food. And so a Saturday night's going to be a good time. Friday night, we've got that unofficial social meetup at some point. We'll do that at 6 p.m. I think we're going to meet at the, the Red Clay Cider Works. All right, next door. I'll be vlogging that day. I know I've not been doing any vlogging, but me and Joe are going to run around with the camera and maybe attend one of these workout classes during the micro gym crawl with somebody. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's going to be the self-made summit. I'm excited. It's literally, what's today, the, the fourth? Yeah, two it's weeks. 12 days. Sorry, that's not even right, Matt. That's not even, that's, it's fair. You know what? Let me say, because I said this off the podcast, but the truth is that even the way that you sat in your chair today was just very indicative of the week that it's been. It's been one of those weeks. It's been one of those weeks. I hate the idea of people that give business advice or do client services or whatever, like that you don't have, like, like there's no bad days. I was, I was, so I've been repurposing a fuck ton of IGTV content. I've been going to the vlog, grabbing snippets because it's already edited, and then just reformatting it for IGTV, right. little headings, Gary V the shit out of it kind of thing. And it was amazing. I was just going back over old content that I shot, and one of them was the thing with Kalipa. And I totally forgot that we got in the car, and that poor fucker, Jason Kalipa, everyone fucking just, you know, he's the king of the castle of NC Fit. <laughs> he literally had coached two of his classes that day. One class only had one person in it. Yeah. This is like a 300-plus <laughs> member gym. Right. The other class had four members in it, one of them being his wife. And then we're driving, and we're having a conversation, and he gets called back to haul like six uh, assault bikes to another location. It was just like, it was bitch work that he right. had to do, but that's that's the fucking thing. And yeah, this week, the last two weeks have been killing me just i've got my ass kicked the last two weeks i think it's been the same for me only because of the seasonality of gyms right like because august is just a tough month for everybody and everyone's recouping in september and then all of the changes so like oh my goodness has my support just been blowing up the last two weeks it's been absolutely miserable it's uh it's been tough man i've been getting purposely um taking a page out of metabolic's book like brandon kirk when they were really creating the work the class flow for metabolic they spent a ton of time on the floor coaching um, I think probably they were still that startup phase where they were trying to conserve every dollar and working a ton to, to save on the payroll. Um, I don't have that here, but I've been for, I've been coaching more Isaac and I'm using Isaac leaving and we've been like kind of cutting her shorter hours, shorter hours so I could get on the floor more. And it is going from four years of really not being on the floor coaching to doing like two classes back to back. I can't tell you the last time I did two classes Hell back yeah. to back. Man, my fucking voice is gone. And I talk all day. I don't yeah, right. I don't yeah, like yeah. pro you know, I don't like uh in an open ten, you know, seven thousand square foot gym space yell all day. We don't have to talk over Cardi B. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> no shit. But um anyway, so that's that's what we so that's us. It's me and Joe right now, but I wanna talk on there was a uh there's been a lot of talk of like IPOs, a lot of startups. We all know like the big like the big, big one percent companies of the world. The Microsofts, the Googles, the Apples, the Amazons of the world, right? I just heard an acronym that I really liked. That was like it stood for like Facebook, Apple, um, Google. I can't remember what it was. You just said fag. <laughs> That's <laughs> it. <laughs> that was it. Facebook, <laughs> Apple, Google, and uh, someone and, asked me, "Are you going to the fag bunch?" Yeah. I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so whatever that acronym is, there's a fourth letter. There's a, there's we we didn't do that right. Um, but yeah, so there's been that, and then there's all these like what everyone calls like unicorns, right? And you have the, the Airbnbs, yeah, 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 the the Airbnbs of the world, the Ubers of the world, the Lyfts of the world, the Pelotons of the world. That I think everyone just clumps the WeWorks, yeah. So everyone just clumps in as they're going to be one of those four. They're going to be like that one exception, yet they don't have a path to profitability. 
they've grown though. And that that's really what this podcast I think is ultimately going to boil down to. We'll be talking a lot about the difference between the growth of your business and it being profitable. And I sent you that quote. And what your that, focus is on. Yeah, yeah. And I sent you a quote from an article that uh, another gym owner sent me that was, um, it said, growth is a sprint, whereas profitability is a marathon. And I think a lot of people would maybe think the inverse. I think they would think that like growing is the marathon. Profitability should be the sprint, the thing that happens initially. And I think right. you could argue it both ways. Yeah. Well, I also think it, it so depends on the economic climate. And I think that right now we're seeing is a huge pendulum swift and a switch and we're on the edge of it right like this is the we're as close as we can be to like a dot-com bubble where it's like i don't think the whole economy is going to collapse but if you look at the way that people are investing it's going to start steadying back out the market's like oh wait a second so snap was a perfect example of this snap in their filing was like he's referring to snapchat for all you old fuckers yeah so it's like in their filing they literally have a statement that's like we cannot prove that this will ever be a profitable company yeah and it kind of went under the radar, and people like talked about it, and like they're fucking struggling immensely, right? Like they're down like thirty percent from their IPO, and now you look at all these other companies that are even more inflated with capital, and they all have to be positions as tech companies, even if they're not, because it's the only way that you could prove Ooh, scale I without need, actually having the profit. To I need it. you to do this, and it's not that I think my audience are morons; it's that I think some of my audience are morons. Sure. Will you please define what an IPO is? Initial public offering. So it's basically when you turn to the public rather than going after venture capital or some other type of investment capital and kind of open up shares to the public to be able to buy a portion of your company. Now, the biggest thing for any of you guys that are like that, I don't do, I don't trade stocks. I don't even fuck, I don't do any of that, right? Uh, the closest I've come is to laughing and pissing myself, crying, watching uh, Wolf of Wall Street. That's like, it's right. good, right? <laughs> but when you get into the IPO market and you're going for an IPO, it, the public is way less forgiving of your lack of profit than VC firms are. VC firms are all about what does that growth look like? What does that scale look like? What it, They're not as worried. Most people keep, will keep funneling cash and they will figure it out down the line. Whereas the public, like, and I think you put it really well when we were getting drinks, was – yeah, but I'm only I've got four thousand dollars to invest. Like that's a lot of money to me. I need to know I'm getting that back, fucker. And this whole thing, and and I think this is a broader thing of life. It's all about expectations and managing them, right? So the expectation for a venture fund is to ten x, twenty x their money. That's their goal. Would you? I loved your line. And you say, "Can a million people use it, and can it make a billion dollars?" Right. That's it. So it's like when you want to go get. So I think that this also blends itself to the conversation around small business versus startup. And I think the most simple way I've ever heard it put is like. Startups are built to scale. That's it. They're growth. They're high growth, high scale companies. Small businesses are meant to live in a realm that is not making the same profits or growth or strategy that a startup has. Doesn't make it any less valuable. Sure. It's just a different style of business. So when you think about when you're going to invest in something, it's like, how am I going to get my money back? So this is why when you go into places like Y Combinator, like these accelerators that are incredible to help startups grow, they're going to say like, what's the billion dollar vision? And if you don't have a billion dollar vision, it's just not interesting anymore. And it doesn't mean that you necessarily have to be there, but it's like, what is the grander scheme here? Because people can make 10 and 20 million dollar companies that aren't investable because there's just no profits. Like a lot of, something I heard a stat the other day, it was like 80% of small businesses make enough money to pay the founders of the business. And that's it. That's 80% of successful small, small businesses, businesses are only paying one or two people that founded the company a salary. Sure. So if you think like all these mom and pop shops that you walk down the street and you walk like that's one or two people making a full time salary, maybe somebody's got part time work. And, there. and generally, what it is is it's they're they didn't they're they bought themselves a job. Yeah, they bought themselves a job that they, they bought love. Themselves the freedom, correct? And I think that you put it so. I, I mean, this really resonated with when you said it the other day. You're like, 
you made the example of running into people at a bar drinking. Everyone's complaining about their job. That's what people talk about, right? They complain about it. Even the people that started their own companies, the people that are making their own positions. And you said the major difference is that those people can't do anything about it, but we can. Yes. And that's like such a great thing to think about, to wrap your head around. 100%. But anyway, I feel like we're skewing off the topic because the topic here is really about what people are incentivized. Like what are the expectations of these high growth companies? So you want to go through venture capital and venture capital is so back of a napkin math. They are a fund that's going to put money into your company, right? So let's say that this specific venture fund has four people that have injected capital into it and they're going to put $10 million into your company. And this is going to be tough. Let's say 25%. So they own a quarter of your company. Um, let's make it 20%. Makes it easier. So now already you have a valuation and two years from now, they double your money. Now you're the founder that still owns, we're just making this up for 80%. So you're about to become an overnight, super successful millionaire. Sure. And they are going to get 100% of the money. So 100% or yeah. So they're going to make $20 million off the, off this deal. They turn around, they go, no, you can't sell. And you're like, what do you mean? Like, this is great. Like we've doubled yep. the money. And they're like, well, because it doesn't, it's not worth it to us to only get double our money back. Cause now we're going to take that $20 million that gets paid to the venture capital. They lose 30% off the top from taxes, right? So now we're already down to significantly less. So let's say 12 million. Now that 12 million comes down and pays all the people's salaries that work at the venture capital fund. Then some goes back to the fund itself. And then the rest gets split up between four people. So you're going to take a guy that's probably worth 50, 60, 70, hundred million dollars and give him a $1 million back scratch. It doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't move the needle. Sure. They don't care about it. So like, no, wait till it's 10, 20 X. Cause they'd rather you fail than get back the million bucks. Cause it doesn't actually mean anything to them. Correct. Yeah. So they turn around and they go, no. And then you're forced as the CEO of the company to figure out a way to 10, 20 X the money. And if you fail to them, it's just like, ah, that one didn't work, but hopefully one of the other ones will. In my portfolio of 40 companies that I put $10 million into. So these VC firms, and especially like even in the fitness industry, it's, it's nowhere near as rampant as tech is. But these VC firms see so often of the time, even if this thing fails, we will get to try 15 different ideas we've been thinking on and literally use this as a chemistry lab to test out different plausible. That way, when the next idea comes through, we can instantly knock off the list, the things that we didn't see work here. Right. And to you, you're like, well, this is my business. I need this thing to survive. But artificially, you don't because someone just injected $10 million into you. You're like, a oh, fuck. I, you know, fucking Forbes just said I'm worth $20 million, but the business hasn't made a dime. Most people don't realize that Uber has never turned a profit. Neither is Snap, neither yep. is WeWork, neither is Peloton. They have never turned a profit. Now, the one thing that's the most interesting about Peloton is that it has a $220 million recurring revenue model. Their RRM is, is now it is, again, that's one of the things, if you looked at all these IPOs recently, it's the one that has a really good recurring EFT. Um, opportunity. Well, that's 500,000 yeah. subscribers. Correct. Yeah. Right? That, that pay for their monthly service. Correct. So that that's an interesting thing to look at if you're Peloton, but still at the end of the day, are you chasing, is Peloton chasing growth or is Peloton chasing sustainable profitability? 110% growth. Yes. In the last fiscal year, right? So they doubled from like 400, 415 million dollars to like a little over 900 million dollars. In that same amount of time, they went from 50 million dollar loss at the end of their balance sheet to a 200 million dollar loss. So, like, if you prove over the long run, like, that's not going to make sense. What I like about them is that now they're going right. The truth is they're a fucking treadmill company, right? Like, that's what they started as. And up until this past year, 
85% of the revenue was coming from the sale of the bike, bikes and yeah. treadmills. That's it. So they're a fucking manufacturer. Yeah. Like you're no different than the other treadmills, except that you put an iPad on yours. And now slowly that's come down to like 80% and 20% of the subscription model. The only way that this is going to be profitable is when it's like 50-50. Sure. Right? And now you're less manufacturing, you're more technology. But when they position themselves, and I thought this was so interesting, they call themselves a technology, lifestyle, media, fitness. And you're just like, what the fuck? Well, you're one of those things. Yeah. Or you're none of those things. Like, it's like uh, the analogy I heard someone talk about was, um, it's like having two quarterbacks. If you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. Because if you're not sure who you're going to use, you don't have a good one. So therefore, it's just not, it's not going to fucking work. Yeah. So when you look at this, you're not a tech company. You're not a tech company. I'm sorry. You're not. People are on there because they're using your fucking bikes. Yes. And the thing is they're going to buck the entire trend of fitness, which is that once somebody gets into it, they'll do fitness more. And that has never been the case ever. It's always a downward curve. You see the same thing in their model. Like their biggest month is January. That's how they came up to it. Just like every other fucking gym in the world. It's all the people that are resolutionaries coming Cross, on being like, I'm ready to do it. Any CrossFit owner that is saying like, wait, wait, no, no. My, my gym's different though. People come into my CrossFit gym and they do fitness more. For, no, everybody comes into CrossFit just like in the beginning of January, except a CrossFit member might stay for three years and fucking just face fuck that Kool-Aid every day for three years. But guess what? The next thing that happens after an unlimited membership and coming six days a week and having four pairs of jump ropes and three pairs of do-wins that you – is not doing it, is canceling and going yeah. to Orange Theory or taking four months off or I'm just going to do Olympic weightlifting or whatever. I'm going to get pregnant and get fat and I'll be back in five years. Everyone realizes that at the peak of fitness and that experience, whether you get a Peloton, whether you join a $10 a month plan of fitness or whether you join a CrossFit gym, that's the peak. Your peak might last three days, three months, 13 years. It always has a drop. That's why like, it goes back to my thesis. Every Everybody cancels on a long enough timeline. Yeah. Everybody, 100%. and it, anything you subscribe to, I don't care if it's church or religion, you'll fucking, you'll go pagan at some fucking point or you'll drop yeah, off. Yeah, when your yeah. grandma gets cancer. Yeah, and you're something like, will Wait happen. Wait a second, this is shaking. And it's the same thing if like you think about what incentivizes them to start. In the, not everyone starts fitness for the same reason. Yes. Right? Yeah, like 100%. 100% of the people that walk into your gym is not because they want to look better naked or because they think it has long-term health sustainability because no one would pick CrossFit for the long term. It's super tough. It's demanding on your body, right? Like, yeah, there's ways to scale it down, but you didn't join at the peak of it and do all this cool shit to then five years from now, slow it down to just the normal stuff. No, now you feel like, oh, I want to be doing that still, but I can't. So I'm just going to switch entirely to something new, like spinning. I'm going to go for, I'm going to go join a run club. I mean, look, Chris is a great example, right? Like he just got fucking bored. He was really good at CrossFit and he's like, now I'm going to do triathlons. Chris, we're referring to Chris Webster, my former videographer and editor. He started a podcast that was on. I was the I was the first guest. Uh, um, fuck, what's it called? A Fitness Changed My Life podcast. Great podcast, long form. If you guys have never listened to that, that's where I talk not really about business, but just about my life, which is really kind of cool. Um, but anyway, Chris was one hardcore CrossFitter, drinking the Kool-Aid. He started Chris Fit. K-R-I-S-F-I-T, go watch his vlogs. Like, this kid was fucking Craig Ritchie, met fucking Casey Neistat, inspired, like, you know, <laughs> right. shooting these little – at my old CrossFit gym. It'll give you guys a really good look into what my gym used to look like back in the day. Um, but, yeah, Chris got into that, and then literally overnight went Iron Man. Yeah. Overnight. He's just like, like, I just woke up one day, and I just realized I wasn't really into snatching as much anymore. I wanted to try a new challenge. Try something. And that's it. So it was like, so there's one of the people that comes into the gym. I'm looking for a new challenge in yeah. fitness, right? Like a lot of ex-athletes look for that next challenge until they don't. Yeah. I came into until the, the gym, six weeks is up. I came into the gym looking for a girlfriend. Yeah. Right? Like I came to meet, and I think a lot of people do come to gyms, not for the fitness, but for the social aspect 
or what they can say afterwards. Yeah. How many people in New York have an Equinox membership just to say they have an Equinox membership? It's like drinking Starbucks. Yeah. No one's like, this is superior coffee. We have a hundred coffee shops within a two mile radius yeah. of this. It's just mud water that gets right. get you and, jacked up. But it's like, you want to be walking around with that symbol in your cup because it, it signals to the mates on the other side, like, oh, he can afford to spend seven dollars. He's not walking around with a quick trip coffee. That's it, and yeah. it matters, right? So, and that's the power of brand, yes. ultimately, right? You look for as a status symbol. So, if somebody joins your gym, and, I, and it's hard to say to a lot of gym, but it's like most people are not joining for the fitness that you offer. They're joining for everything else. Yes. They're joining for hitting a short-term goal, a long-term goal. Maybe somebody in their family just got diabetes and like, holy shit, they got scared and they, they come in like, is it, you're the closest gym. So you're the first gym that's a website I went to that didn't have a pop-up. Yeah. Right? Like, it's, it's there's the no flavor of the reason. week, the yeah. month, the year, the quarter, the, the 10-year, whatever it is. I want to, real quick, I want to go back to, so I'm, I was thinking about the audience and everyone listening to this. Like, we're talking about an IPO and like, the acronym my audience probably resonates with the most is like a GPP, general physical preparation. And we're talking, and me and Joe are doing this IPO thing. And I want to, I want to talk because one question I, whenever I've brought up to people who didn't know that stat, that Uber, WeWork, these companies have never been profitable. The biggest thing the small business owner thinks of is how does then, how does anyone get paid? Like, how do you live in a non-profitable company? And that's where obviously we, our conversation of the VC injecting cash in. And then the next question I'll get from another small business owner who's not as versed in this will be like, well, as the owner, if someone even gave me cash and we kept doing things that made us look cool, but it never really made us any money, wouldn't I have a, wouldn't, why don't they speak up? Why don't they say something? Like, you don't understand. Even if Peloton crashes and burns because it focused on growth versus profitability, the founder of Peloton is now forever the founder of Peloton. And even though he went down with the ship and it was an unsuccessful, do you not think his speaking enge engagement you know, fee, his, you know, how many other companies now court him? That's the greatest thing. If you get Y Combinator money. Yeah. Charisma. Yes. The same thing with Fire Festival guy, right? Like, oh, yeah. These are people who just have this unbelievable soft skill that can't be taught, that are magnetic, and they're able to pitch ideas, and people want to be in the room with them. And investors Chris are like, Fry, right? I can't yeah. do that. Yeah. But you can, yep. and if I inject more money behind you to give you a platform to do that on, you can sway people in a certain direction. 100%. This fucking guy was working for a company that got over $10 billion of investment cap, talking about WeWork, and buying his own properties and leasing them to his company. If that doesn't sound like the most low-level shit that you could do, like in a small, like you hear that shit like a small business, you're like, man, that doesn't seem like it's a right thing to do. He was doing it at a multi-billion dollar company, and no one was calling him out on it. If the investors fucking knew, right? Like then the public found out when they put in the S one, which is what you have to submit to actually go public. And they're like, yeah, you can't do that. Sell, can't, sell the shit back. You can't triple stamp a double stamp. Exactly. You can't triple stamp a double stamp. It's completely unrealistic. And I mean, if you look at WeWork's a perfect example, they lost nine hundred million dollars in the first half of the year. Nine hundred million dollars. So when and I think that you brought this up earlier, where it's like, what am I incentivized to put, buy stock in it? It's because eventually. Like you look at institutional investments versus private investments, and we go in there and we say, the only way we're getting a dividend off this stock is if you have a fucking profit. So as a, like a consumer, it's like, eh, I don't really see the point in owning a piece of this company because you're not going to pay me out any dividends. When the big companies, when something defaults, like a soft bank who injected all the billions into WeWork, they're not going to hurt. Sure. Their vision fund has $100 billion in it. So they're going to inject this guy, and it's going to be a bit, whether it's huge or not, they now are the biggest landowner, are the biggest land leasers in New York City, in what, there was like two or three enormous cities that they own tons of real estate in and are leasing to like 2030. So when they have to go back and tell these people like, hey, we're defaulting and we can't pay, who does that hurt? 
hurts us, yeah. the small shareholders, right? Because we're he- left holding the fucking bag for a company that didn't have a path to profitability, but we're like, yeah, we trust all this other big money that goes after it. Well, they're going after it for a different reason than sure. you, right? And I think that that's where a lot of people, I mean, you get lost in the clouds and a lot of people are like, ah, this isn't interesting anymore. But what's interesting about it is the expectation of that small company owner. And I think the direct correlate, like what you see the parallel here is what we were just talking about on the way over to Quick Trip, which is the Instagram influencer. That's just like, I'm just going to build a big audience because then I can do with what I want. Sure. And it's like, Ah, that's not necessarily the fucking case. So for you guys, you know, this, you know, we're talking these crazy big companies and most of you guys can't relate to it at that level. None of us can relate to it at that level, but here, here's what we can relate to the idea of profitability and grow uh, versus growing. Right. And when you want to grow, you have to accept that you're going to spend time, money, effort, and resources on growing. And they've all got to be focused on growing. And profitability is probably going to take a back seat just because you can't do everything at all times perfectly. Yep. I'm a great example of this. I'm going to use a lot of my own personal lessons with Urban Movement. When we decided to purchase this building and rebrand, as you can imagine, I became very liquid poor, very cash poor, very quick. And I went from the opposite of that scenario to being cash poor in this because I knew I had to over, I had spend a ton of money. And it's hopefully a return that's going to pay off. And then I've even, me and Joe have talked about this. And I've talked about this in content before. People have asked, you know, Stu, how much better is Urban Movement doing than CrossFit South End in year two? I'm like, it did way worse than CrossFit South. Now, the numbers are higher, but I'm talking the profit margins are, complete, right. are, are opposites. Urban Movement as a company lost money, whereas CrossFit South End was always profitable. But again, the size of the mo- of the machine was way different. You had less than, you know, I didn't have two full-time GMs and staff and all this and blah, blah, blah. And when you look at it now, what allows my VC firm was what the fuck jump talk. You know, so at the, the Self-Made Summit, we will be talking to people looking to rebrand. My, uh, my keynote is on what you need to do and consider before you go rebrand. And one of them is a, is a financial aspect and a financial model because it's expensive to rebrand. Because if you're like, well, I'm not gonna change anything except for the low, then that's not a rebrand. I right. changed everything, equipment, location, name, clientele. I mean, I you name it, it got operations, staff, everything changed in here, which cost me a lot of fucking money, a lot of money. And guess who my VC firm was? What the fuck, Jim Talk? What the fuck, Jim Talk makes enough money monthly that I, me and my family are able to live on it, and then I'm able to inject that into ESC Fitness, my fitness company, and it allows me to grow Right. since we weren't profitable immediately. I, I am my own VC, and I realize a lot of gyms don't have that, so I've got to talk to people about a financial model, and I think Clay over at Requipment Finance, he's, uh, he's given his, his keynote as well, and they're one of the partners. He'll be able to speak to it really well. You've got to consider what your outflow is going to be for this change. If you're going to do a full-on rebrand, like if you're like, my model is going to be like uh, berries. I'm going to go Woodway treadmills and torpedoes. Cool. How many Woodway treadmills and torpedoes do you ever know? Zero. Okay. So now you have to liquidate all your current equipment, sell that off if you're going to get rid of that model, and you got to go buy $45,000, just in equipment alone. Right. All right. Well, cool. You really, The reason that works too is because Barry's is a closed, dark room with lights. It makes a cool kind of atmosphere. Are you going to model that too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's another $80,000 right there and soundproofing right. and lights. And <laughs> like, right. So like, do you have that? You know, and I don't think everybody wants to go that extreme with the rebrand. And uh, I'm sure as hell not discouraging anybody from it because it does not need to cost that much. You know, again, a lot of you guys are thinking of scaling to one location, right? right? So I'm talking much bigger numbers for, you know, with this aspiration of bigger, more locations. But um, 
And that is the truth. That's the, that is from, that's my story of growth and profitability and where one sits down and the other one has to, one stands up and one has to sit down to do both right. at the same time is possible. Very difficult. But it's also like where the focus is and there's always going to be pros and cons, right? Like who's winning and who's losing. And the truth is in the growth phase, the customer loses, right? When you're not going, so how do you make a bigger profit? Well, you either charge your customers more or you give them, you somehow drive the cost down to make sure that they're sure. excited enough to keep paying for your product yep. over a long time. So if you're completely customer focused and that's all you're doing, you should be able to drive up profit. But if you're going after growth, your profit numbers go down, but also the in, the what you're focused on is not the consumer happiness. Yeah. It's the new person that's gonna pay for it because you're yeah. trying to grow. So now you're like, how do you balance that? Yeah. People are gonna be upset. There's no way that you weren't gonna face attrition going from CrossFit South End to Urban Movement. Sure. It just made perfect sense. And it was because you had a bigger growth model in mind. Now you have to build the new house. Well, where's the house now? Well, it kind of gets in between two places. Then you get into a place that doesn't have the same equipment and the layout's different. And the consumer's not happy about it. Your current customer is not happy about Correct. that. So anybody that's on the fringe, anybody that could be on either side of the fence is going to fall to the bad side. They're going to be like, yeah, that's not for me. And you have to deal with that. And you better hope that you made a good enough impact on the 60% of the 70% understand that you're going to see a 20% attrition just in people that were on the fence anyway, right? You're giving them an excuse to fucking walk away that because is, they're not your focus anymore. And they'll tell you right to your face. When I was growing Urban Movement, my current customer base, and when I was rebranding and changing class styles and all that, my current customers were not 100% of my focus. My focus was on the new vision and the growth of the company and for what I saw was needed to be necessary to be around in 12, 15 years. And I'll tell you guys, you're hearing me say this and you're like, fuck that. I wouldn't do it. I'll tell you this right now. As me and Joe sit here today, I can name three CrossFit gyms. Two who are going to going out of business because – and not going out of business necessarily due to bad business metrics – though I would suspect it too, the land has been purchased out from underneath them and they now have to relocate. And guess what? They can't hang out in my city anymore. At least where we're at. It's too expensive. Another one, same thing. The land was bought out from underneath him and he's having to move to another side of the city. He's still staying close by. That's three competitors that I have outlasted now. And because I strategically bought property here, I will never have that problem. But I had to sit and wait for that. I mean, Joe, when you guys come, if you guys come to the Self Made Summit, you'll really see what I'm talking about. How you're going to be in this cool area, South End, going to where Berries is and fucking Chipotle's across from it and all these dope fucking spots, dry bar and all this shit. And then you're going to come to where my gym's at and there's a quick trip and a cider bar and then some new townhomes. And you're like, yeah, I guess it's okay, but you can tell this is a little, put that turkey back in the oven. This shit needs to be cooked right. for a little bit longer, <laughs> but it's the game you play. And, you know, I was talking to my father-in-law the other day who was asking me how the losses are at the business because me and him talk about this all the time. And I'm like, well, they're getting better. And we had this conversation. At what point do you accept a lack of profitability in a business? Even if you have your own VC firm or your own bank or your own way to sustain it, and how would you, what kind of advice would I give to another gym? You know, what I should have done in the beginning to sustain profit as much profitability while I grew was not hire a second full-time person. But I doubled down on HR and I knew. I knew my money was gonna go down in profitability and I brought Deuce in anyway. Why? Because I knew I was gonna need, and I knew I couldn't wait for this thing to pop. When Urban Movement pops and we have months where we go 20, 30 signups consistently month over month over month over month when this area pops, which will happen, I'm not going to, I'm going to be like, fuck, I wish I'd been developing another GM for two years now Yeah. and I'll be too late then. 
But you have to have the foresight to understand that and be like, I'm going to fucking eat ramen noodle sandwiches again. And the difference, like when Joe said I sat down, like I was in a really shitty mood, I want everyone to understand, it's not that having a bad week bothers me. And Joe's the same way. We, we, We give each other therapy lessons back and forth consistently. The one thing I'll say about me, Joe, and a lot of other people, I like the process of this. You have to love the process. Yeah. Everybody's going to come to Urban Movement and be like, I want this. I guarantee you, you fucks don't want what I've done. You do not want to sit there and have to go through what I've done, the work that I've had to put in. I've had to build a separate company to bankroll my first company during this period of lack of profitability. Like, you don't fucking get it. Well, because they glorify the lifestyle. They Correct. glorify what they think it's like. Just like you look on Instagram 100%. and you say, wow, I would love to just be flying to Bali. It must be nice. Yes. It's like, you don't know what's behind that shit. It's, you don't know what's there. And, I, and that's why I like being open about it. I don't feel enough guys that do what I do are open about this kind of stuff, about the fuck-ups. Like, if I could do this all over again, I would have found a financial model that allowed me to continue to rent out CrossFit Southend while I built this built out, yeah. right? If I would have known how big What the Fuck Gym Talk was going to be, and if I were to say, and again, I, I do in What the Fuck Gym Talk what most you, more than most you guys do per month at your gym. It's just complete fucking honesty. Yep. I would have never shut down CrossFit South. And had I known, I would have kept that going and used what the fuck Jim talk to bankroll what I'm doing now. And I would have just let both live. Anyone who wanted the jump ship could have, but I could have left that little profitable little monkey sitting over there and let him fucking dance all day. And that would have been a profit center for me. And I would have just built this instead. I would have let my beliefs go month to month. Um, it was absolutely like, again, that's a huge fuck up on my part, but guess what? Fuck it. Live, learn, figure it out the yeah. whole deal. I'm already planning that model for the second location. I have a lot of people like, Stu, you keep talking about why this location's too big for your model. Are you going to go small? I'm like, we're going to go small. Like, are you going to keep this location open? And as long as it's profitable, yes. But we open up that second location. We might be opening the first location again. Right. <laughs> if I lease this thing out for $45,000 a month. Right. And I, cause I'm now I'm playing better financial models with this thing. It's super interesting, man, to, to really sit back and, and, and to think about like that article. And I will share, I will try to remember to share this in the notes. If I don't share it in the show notes, make sure you guys hit me up this article that talked that on medium, um, the difference in growth and profitability probably spoke to me more than any random fucking article I've seen on the internet in forever. Yeah, it really did. Like what? Okay, talk let, without you don't have to give away don't give away anything you don't want to. But what growth versus profitability? Because we talk about scaling flex all the time. Oh yeah. So this this is one of those things too, and I think that so the analogy I made recently in describing it was um, so back in school, right? I was a, an A student, and one of my math teachers back in the day, right before I went to college, this was in high school. He turns to me and he goes, you know, just remember when you get to college. That So where I grew up on Long Island, it was all number-based. So your grade at the end of the semester was 98 or 86. It was not an ABC. It was not some of my favorite. Qu- this is one of my favorite quotes of yours. Right? So when you go up, it's like a 90 is still an A. Yeah. So just remember that. And the idea being that you can spend eight hours studying and get 100, or you can spend two hours studying and get a 90, and now you have six hours to play with. And at the end of the day, you still get a fucking A. So I always took that into like, okay, so what is the incremental difference? So it's the law of diminishing returns. So over time, you'll realize that even if you throw 100 more hours at it, you're only increasing this much. And that's where you start to see something like Flex where it's like I get enough customers to where I could spend all of my day just upkeeping them. That's it, right? 
and it'll never grow because I've reached the capacity of what I can do because it's not like once you do it, that's it. You don't think about them anymore. Just like when you bring somebody onto the gym, you're selling every single day. Because client acquisition is a profit And it's month to month. Yes. So like, yeah, it sounds so great. The subscription, like, oh yeah, no contracts. It's month to month. Everything's great. Except that means you have to sell every single month to every single one of your customers because at any time, they can decide that that's not it anymore. And while it's great for the consumer, it's not so great for the business to think about it like that because you're like, oh shit, now I have to sell double, right? Yep. I have to sell now I need to hire an account people. manager. Exactly, yep. right? So you sit there and I'm like, okay, so how do you scale? Well, you scale by steering the ship, the big ship of Flex, while somebody else manages the current consumer. Guess what? As soon as someone finds out that I'm not going to be answering their emails more, I'm going to have attrition. Yes. A hundred percent. And I already know it. How many of you guys, once you hired your first coach and you stopped coaching the majority of the classes, clients complained? That's it's it. the same thing. It has to happen, right? What you have to understand is that if your whole business will leave, then you didn't create a great business, yeah. right? There has to be some scalability. That's why when people paint a broad stroke, like, are you built to scale? There's a lot more that goes into that than just, do you have the flush capital? Do you have something that can be spread out wide? Like a, like software is always talked about like this, like, oh, it's built to scale. Well, cool. So you can always add more customers to it, but does the support scale? How many more support people do you need for every sure. 10 customers, right? Like, and, and you're not thinking about those things when you start the company because you're too excited about the product. But eventually you have to reach this, this level of maturity that's like, yeah, I'm going to deal with some attrition as I then go and kind of transfer all of this new stuff to somebody new who's going to do me a little bit worse than I do. Yeah. And as you build more people underneath you, it's a little bit less like you, which isn't always a bad thing if you give people the room to grow and to grow into the position that makes them feel comfortable. So when I think about scaling Flex, I've had plenty of offers for people to inject capital into Flex. And what I always say is I'm not taking any money on until I know that this is gasoline on a fire. I do not want to pay to start the fire. Sure. And that's just me personally. And it's because my brain works in such a way that I have 16 things going on and I have my iron. Like I just have like these kind of warm things that I'm always thinking about. And then as soon as I find the one that strikes, that's where the money will go. The flame will start, gasoline will be poured on it, and then it will have explosive growth yeah. in a way that I feel comfortable. When a lot of people are just like, oh, why wouldn't you just go get money? Money's easy to get now. I was like, yeah, it is easy to get. I know people personally who could fund everything I need to do. But then I'm now accountable to somebody new. Then you really do become a CEO, right? Now, every decision you make has to be rationalized by somebody else and has to fit to their vision. And you're now explaining every move that you make to somebody new. That's not always the best way to grow, right? Yeah. So, and it's, it's, and like you said, it's a passion business. You follow your efforts, not your passion. So like what you're really good at, you just keep doubling down on it until you're like, okay, now I feel comfortable enough in the way this thing is moving that I can focus over here and the capital will go towards the loss that we're going to have by me moving to this other section of the company or this other focusing on this other part and slowly building that up. And it's tough, yeah. right? You hear growing pains. It doesn't just, it's not just in the human body. Like these are the same things happen in business. Yeah when you try to hit any sort of scale early on. But it's it's that golf saying, you know, people say uh, a bad day on the golf course is a better day at fucking Bank of America. You know, it's the same thing. Like yep. the, going to Joe's conversation, the thing I gave him about being at the bar and hearing nine to fivers complain and nothing against nine to fivers, but it's just like, yeah, it unfortunately they just can't do much about it besides find another nine to five. And, and right. these headaches are, and they're, you know, financial headaches are like, I've got clients that have serious financial constraint. Um, and it's a huge source of stress for them, their loved ones and all that. And, and I get it, but every business feels financial squeeze. Every business does. And so like, um, I did a podcast, uh, recently where I was talking about, I feel like, uh, I feel like there's some gym owners who would love to catch me. Like I have guys that come on drop in here and they don't give a heads up, which is whatever. That's kind of a thing. But, um, 
And the one came in the other, maybe two weeks ago, and I was folding towels behind the front desk because we didn't have a front desk person that day. So guess who does it? This guy. And this guy comes in and says, oh, Stu, what's up, man? I'm a big fan. I'm like, of Urban Movement or what the fuck, Jim? Like, I don't assume. And I'm right. just like, what are you talking about? And he's, uh, he's like, no, I listen Sense to the towels. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's like, bro, what, what are you doing? And he, the look this guy gave me and the way he said it was like, you're folding towels? I thought you were still like, Bob, Mr. Yeah. Fucking kick your feet up. See, I'm like, bro, the fuck's wrong with you? Like, where do you, where does anyone who owns a business get off in thinking that once they've climbed the certain ladders of the rung, there's no, they never have to drop back down. Right. And why would, that's why one of my favorite things about SoulCycle is one of their core values is uh, roll up your sleeves. And the, what that means to their company is all C-suite executives spend three hours a week working the front desk or instructing classes. And it keeps people, number one, humble. It keeps your ear close to the ground. I was telling you before the podcast, I'm going to get back into coaching classes significantly, um, especially after recommendations and seeing like kind of the storyline of like what Metabolic did when they were really honing. We are so close on this class style, so close, closer than we've ever been as to what will actually be something people would throw money at. Um, but it's not there yet. And the only way I think I'm going to push across the finish line if I'm in it all the time. I can't yeah. just have meetings with Deuce and Isaac and watch it from afar and watch it on camera and all that stuff. I need to actually be in it. Um, and so like doing two classes in a row the other day was, I was like, fuck. But part of me was like, I'm kind of excited to get fucking dirty again and be in the dirty. trunches, you know? Yeah. And, and cause you're a, you're, you're, you, you're not a one man show. You're more of a one man show than I am at this point. You feel like you get your hands dirty all the time. And I remember like when you and me jam on our fucking business, quote unquote complaints, it, it's, you know, when you're too technician based, it's, I'm ready to beat my head against the ground. Right. And when you're more uh, managerial base and you're not doing as I'm much technician work dirty. you're just frustrated with humans yeah. you're frustrated with your staff you're frustrated with the co- the clientele the economic market in your sector uh, low so isn't growing fast enough blah 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 it's the same shit guys the one thing I hope everyone realizes when they come to the self-made summit and they hear from all these dudes we're all still fucking putting out fires every day nobody has it figured out metabolic does not have it figured out. Alchemy 365 does not have it figured out. Steve Pinkerton doesn't have it figured out. They've What they have figured out was their previous problem. They don't have their next problem right. figured out. Well, a lot of people say that CEO at a bigger company is literally you're just the glorified firefighter. Yeah. You're the person that – like the buck stops with you. Yep. So you may have a whole day where nothing happens, and then every other day you're just dealing with the hardest problems of your company. So, yeah, you're seeing the trips and the constant flights. and stuff like that. They're not going to these places and enjoying themselves. These aren't vacations. They're literally putting out the biggest fires that the company could possibly face that no one else on the ground level can do because they've somehow managed to supplement all of the actual tactical stuff that they need to do. Yeah. Elon Musk is an awesome example of this, and he's a guy that like wants to always be in it. He doesn't actually just want to stop at, at a high level. And I read an article once that talks where he, they, he was interviewed, and he talks about how he will go spend two days a week at Tesla as an engineer working under one of the people that he hired to run the engineering team because he wants to just be a part of the machine. So that he can stay in there and say, he has 12-minute lunches. 12-minute lunches. Not these hour and a half, like I could do whatever I want and take off when I want. That's not the life. And it, it reminds me of the, like the rich, poor mindset, like the rich dad, poor dad philosophy, yep. where it's just like you see this and you imagine what the lifestyle is like. And then the closer you get to it, you realize how fucking off you are. And it's like, so what was motivating in the first place? Like, was I motivated by that lifestyle? Because then I could just go make a lot of money and that should supplement all the things that I want to do. I could take the vacation. I could do because the lifestyle is not what you're imagining it to be. 
when you see it from 10,000 feet. When the Cavs, we won the championship. We came back from 3-1 to one to beat the Golden State Warriors in the NBA championship. And we, uh, you saw it like it was, it was documented so well on fucking Snap and everything. J.R. Smith and Kevin Love and LeBron all in the clubs in fucking Vegas partying. The night they won, they came back. Cleveland had a huge fucking parade. And when they got off that plane, you could tell everyone was fucked up. Like, J.R. Smith's shirts off, kind of stumbled. Like, right. they, they partied. You could tell they definitely... But then I remember, I remembered to the fucking day, the snap I saw, or it was maybe an Instagram of LeBron in the gym at 5 a.m. the next day. Yeah. And it was just like, cool, celebrate your victories, enjoy an end zone dance, and then get the fuck off the field because you got to go back on for the next play here soon. And it's, you know, I really hope, you know, in talking about this like profitability and scale thing, I hope a lot of you guys that are coming to this, if, you know, we're going to do a, oh, we are going to do, I didn't tell you this, we are doing a panel at the end. Hell yeah. So we'll do a panel at the end. You're going to have everyone up there, and it'll either be Q&A or pitch us your idea. Pitch us the rebrand. And it doesn't mean, well, okay, so here's my current gym. We do, like, if you can't pitch it in 60, like, I'll put, I've got fucking four, three, four clocks in the gym. I will put a fucking timer on there. And you have 90 seconds, 60 seconds the, to pitch us. The Apple show. Yeah, that Apple with, show. Yeah, with with the, the Gary v, where they're literally coming down the, the escalator. Yeah. And they have, or the elevator, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. And they have that yeah. amount of time to fully pitch their company. Yeah. So you'll be able to pitch us and we'll be able to poke holes. But one of the things is if you currently as a business don't have a, a current profitability, and you want to rebrand, and you're doing it because you think it's going to create profitability, you're probably going to hear the majority of the panel tell you it's not. And even if it does on a long enough timeline, can you stay, can you doggy paddle without your life vest that long to stay afloat? Right. Because it's now you're talking about knocking yourself back another three years. I, I just cannot wait for people to ask Brandon and Metabolic, like, what is it like during 2012 when you're doing all this and all these CrossFit gyms are just, sell, are just crushing money, crushing money? I was cr like, it, again, it was so stupid how well I did as CrossFit South End. And then Brandon probably sat there for you like, am I doing the right thing? Is this the right idea? Like, and, he, and, and just at the moment when you think you should quit and give up, that's generally the fucking breakthrough. That's generally right. the time when things just fucking change. And um, even like, you know, here's, a, here's an example of holding on. Like, you know, even here with Urban Movement, you know, me people, I've like, uh, people way smarter than me in the commercial state say, you're fucking stupid. Put a for lease sign on the front of that building. You will be out and have a fucking rent check and a 5, 10, 15-year lease in your fucking hands within 90 days. And you'll be doing $40,000 after you pay off your mortgage. You're going to be clearing fucking $30,000 a month. And I'm like, you're a fucking idiot. And then I get an email. The Urban Land Institute, which is this organization that is urban planning, has noticed a crazy theme. And you can relate to this. Microbreweries are becoming commercial real estate assets where those in commercial real estate look at microbreweries like, dude, here's the thing is all of the projects that we have a microbrewery lease for us, those projects are, they're phenomenal. All of our tenants are reporting crazy high return. Like they're killing it in these buildings. And it's, it's something about microbreweries and they're literally doing a panel. I get to go to it on October 24th to sit there and listen to the top minds of commercial real estate here in Charlotte, talk about why they think microbreweries attract people what we call convening which is just energies right. brought in from all different people for all different reasons so they're looking at them like the new walmart they're looking like the, the cornerstone the cornerstone yeah. so like i'm the big sale i'm going to it because i think what a microbrewery does and what my micro gym does not anyone listening my fucking micro gym can do is that people go to microbrewery the the tenant reason is there's beer there's different kinds of beer 
but not everybody loves beer, but maybe like bringing their dog because they have an outdoor area. Or maybe they just like going to hear a band and just hang out and it's nice outside. Just like I believe this place to work and work out, if done even better, not in my current experiment, but if I could do this over again and I made the workspace better, I put in printers. I put in, you know, private little booths that you could sit in there and it was all free and it created a very productive place to convene. Right. I, again, I think, I, my belief, my vision is that I think an urban movement could be looked at in the same way as a micro gym. I want that in my fucking complex because people convene there. It gathers the right energy of the right people. And so I heard this and I was like, oh my God, that hypothesis on the microbreweries is fucking, it's, per, it's exactly right. And can I make urban movement that? I don't know. We'll, I'll let you guys know in 20 years. And what's beautiful you know? about it, though, is that it gives you the framework to try to rebuild yeah. it, right? So it's like you're looking at that and you're like, It gives okay, you the permission a- to say it's even a thing. Right. Yeah. It's fucking nuts, man. It just like, it's it's so funny, man. I, I love what we do in owning a business. It's it's super stressful even when it's successful. It's super stressful even when it's successful. But I think that's why you, like, you know, people say, like, let's go for the quick cash grabs and, like, building. Like, could I have built a company that made more money quicker? Sure. But these are all long-term, like, shorter-term plays. And I really look at it like you have to love what you do because you definitely stop yeah. if you didn't. Right? And I think that Mark Cuban says a bet. He goes, don't follow your passion. Follow your efforts. Because people innately enjoy doing things that they're good at. You are good at selling gym memberships. So you're like, I'm just going to keep building a business where selling gym memberships is a part of it. And then you became a better businessman. You're like, I'm good at negotiating. I'm good at it. And you just find the new way to bring that in into your business that you can somehow hit some sort of growth pattern. And I think that right now, a lot of people started CrossFit gyms specifically because they're like, oh, there's a low investment threshold. Opportunity, yeah. I can go in and I get, and there was no like, okay, what's this going to be 10 years from now? Because let me tell you, if you start a CrossFit gym and it was successful for eight years and now it's not anymore and you're getting out of the game, you're just unemployed for the last eight eight years, right? So you're going to go to the next business like, yeah, I started a business. Like, oh, what happened? Uh, didn't work. And I learned. I learned stuff. And it's like, but you lost a lot of tactical skills because any job that you're going to get is never doing all of those things. So I have handcuffed Isaac. I'm like, Isaac, you can never go back into the workforce. I've completely fucking pillaged you of any <laughs> applicable fucking work skills other than being, you know, the, the, the second in command to the most annoying cunty CEO ever, which is me, um, which is actually probably a really good skill to have in, uh, in corporate America. It's funny, man. It, people who start, especially CrossFit affiliates and people listening to this, you just left one job for another in the beginning. That's good enough. Yeah. Just you like your job now. It doesn't pay you as much, but you like it. Yeah. It's what you enjoy doing. But then you realize it had to be a business at some point. Well, so here, I mean, this is something that I talked to my dad about before I ever started this company. Um, he worked for IBM for 32 years. And he, he quotes, is like, I hated 31 and a half of them. How old's like, your dad? 77. Now. I feel like anybody you talk to that's like 65 to 80 worked for IBM. Yeah. Like, yeah, they all have that story. Like, <laughs> right. I work for IBM or Xerox, <laughs> right. you know, one of those companies. And what he says is like, uh, so he talks a lot about how he would come up with these unbelievable ideas that save the company a shit ton of money, but you still make your same salary. And um, a guy that I read, Steve Pavlina, it was a blog that I read, you know, when I just started college, I think it was printed in like 2006, 2007. And he talks about the $10,000 an hour job. And he goes, the reason I work for myself is because when a company pays 50, I'm paraphrasing here, but when a company pays you $50,000 a year to do a job, they're hoping that you produce more value than that $50,000, right? It's like, if I was going to sell TVs, I wouldn't want to buy a TV for $100 cost and sell it for 90 because then I'm getting a loss. So by buying an employee for $50,000 in a year, you're hoping that they make the company more than $50,000. That's the goal. Not everyone will. 
but you're hoping that it offsets enough and that the people that you're paying the super high money to are actually moving the needle for your company. The difference is if you're a $50,000 a year employee and you come up with an idea that makes the company $1.1 million, you make $50,000. Yeah. You may, they may throw you a bonus. They may throw, and, and that is a bone, right? If they're paying you 10 grand, you're like, holy shit, that's, you know, 10, 20% of my salary. Isn't that amazing? Not to them. They don't give a shit. Yeah. It was found money. So it's like, here you go. Get your own special keep, parking spot. Keep your incentivized, right? Yeah. Now they'll pay you $60,000 a year. Fantastic. And he goes, I'm going for a job where if I come up with a $10,000 idea, I make $10,000. He goes, the average, my hourly is probably closer to $18, $19, $20 an hour. He goes, and that's not the sustain the lifestyle that I have today. But I have enough of those $10,000 ideas that if I come up with one, boom, I make that amount of money. And that always stuck in my head because right now we'll toy with different ideas. I have something that I'm going to announce at the self-made summit. I, I, I wanted to say something. I was waiting for you to yeah. – That I'm super excited about because it's been something that it's been in the back of my mind for like six months. And I knew that it was kind of the direction that I wanted to take um, a slightly, uh, slightly different take on what we're doing now. Right now we're doing everything. And there is a midway model that we've come up with. Um, that I've spent a lot of time working on that I'm super excited about. And to me, it's just another test in the hundreds of tests that I've been running, whether it's in my head or with customers or with people, like whatever it is, different markets over the past two and a half years, right? But when you hit one, when it works, it was worth all of that time that you tried all these different things that if you were doing that in your everyday job, you kind of get dis disenchanted. You're yeah. like, oh, this is... I came up with the best thing. Well, cool. Good job. Now try to do it again. And you're like, ah, but I, but I did that. I just want to keep doing that. I did that really well. And that's what I'm hoping this is, right? Like I look forward to it because I think it's going to be something that allows more people to get on the platform. And that's obviously the goal, right? But it can't come at an expense to the company. It needs to come at a way that accelerates the company because in my opinion, and I've said this since the very beginning, the more people that get on the platform, everybody benefits from it, right? Because I've created these extremely tight feedback loops with my customers where it's like, you come in and you say, hey, Joe, no, we really nice if this happened. And I go, okay, and two weeks later, it's in the system. Yep. There's not too many people that can turn that shit around. And like that has always excited me. The problem is if you're doing six things for everybody, it's very hard to know which one of those things, things to fo focus on. So this new thing focuses on two, and it just kind of dials in. So if I can increase the customer base enough in just those two specific areas, that becomes such a stronger part and such a stronger connection with the client that now it becomes a more scalable opportunity. Yep. And I'm super pumped about it because truthfully, I've always looked at Flex as something that can really do well in the fitness industry. But it's not only in the fitness industry. It's something that can definitely benefit anybody that's starting a company that has an idea, that wants to grow a brand, that wants to get more people engaged in what they're doing. And that's always got to be the bigger vision, right? Like I think that I can create a successful 15 to $20 million company in just fitness. But if I want to go for investment, what's the billion dollar idea? Yep. And I think that that's where this gets me a step closer to. It's crazy. Even with the self-made summit, man, that, you know, I've never put on an event in my life besides like fucking a party at my house. Right. Um, <laughs> that's literally it. Right. And so, uh, I've done plenty of events and God, that's why I don't do them anymore. So, but I mean <laughs> like, and, tough, and yeah. I, I'm not taking, like Isaac has done all the grunt work on it, but like just the idea of, I mean, I'm the only person marketing it. So you know, you know what's also really interesting. And I just want to humble brag on myself for at the last couple minutes of the podcast. What time is it? I'm working out at what the, 340. Oh, cool. I got plenty of time. Um, Lacey Nelson, I'm invited, I invited, uh, I comped the Iron and Mortar. One of the, uh, the, uh, the main Iron and Mortar uh, organizer, Lacey, is coming out. 
Why? Because they've been super good to me. We, we got a good thing and um, I support their thing. And um, I just wanted them to come out and, and see this because I've put on an event and my first time doing it. And I'm, I mean, I'm really proud of how it's, how it's going. Uh, I invited Jim Wright. Jim Wright is a competitor. I comped. I'm not making them even pay. And I'm bringing them out for free. They're paying for their flight or whatever, but I'm not charging them to attend. Right. Um, I'm thinking of doing it with Two Brain. I'm th- I want to do it with all my competitors because I just want everyone to realize, number one, I don't fear fucking competition in the least. And because I do believe in collaborating with people and having colleagues, not competitors. So I'm thinking of reaching out probably like maybe Brian Stump at uh, Strump right down the street. He's a, he's a big two-brain guy. Um, maybe even Sean Ryder down in Shenandoah. Maybe I'll hit him up. But uh, I've been just saying, like, Mad Labs, I'm going to offer them a spot. Come on, I won't even charge you. Maybe I'll make them pay for their fucking their, – their food and shit at the, the restaurant. I don't know. But, like, I just want them to come because I truly believe, like, in putting on something different than this. I'd never done it before, so there were no rules. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know whether I was doing it right or wrong. When I told people I was going to invite the compet- like my com- technical competitors and whatever for free, like, the fuck is wrong with you? I'm like, well, I didn't know that wasn't a good idea. I mean, I could play that in my head as a business guy and be like, maybe it's not. But I'm just like, it sounds cool. Like, I've got no fear. Because the great thing about you and me, the, the opposite, I, I'm not scaling what the fuck Jim talk. You're trying right. to, yeah, that's the other thing too is like when we have conversations, I'm like, dude, I just need to lock down a high enough hourly rate to keep playing VC for my fucking, my real thing over here and have fun. And I have fun doing it and making these fucking videos and all that stuff, but trying something different in like what you're like, you're not trying something different. You're, 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 uh, what do we call it? You're cornering off an element of what you already offer into something very specific. There's two things people will really be able to take away from your new update that you're running with flex. And I'm doing this event thing. What if I fucking do and the number at the next podcast we'll do, we'll talk the numbers of how much this thing made after all the expenses are done. But if I did it really, 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 really fucking well, uh, maybe fucking Iron and Mortar asked me to do it at their place. If right. I can fucking, you know, like, and again, this isn't a slight toward, I don't know what their numbers are over there. I'm sure they're great. Um, but if I, uh, if I like, hey, look, look, this is what I did. I put on an event. I advertised it through a brand that I fucking own in my remote channels. What if I get into that? Right. What if that takes me down a different thing? And then it's it's just one of these things where again, going back to the entrepreneur, the business owner is constantly, it's it's constantly a struggle. But it's also always something new too. It's always a fucking. There's always something like, damn, and you, I really suck at that, or hell, I'm actually really good at that. And you need to capitalize on it when you're still inspired to do it. Yeah. So what I always say is like, the the best time you'll have is the first time you do it. So I look at it like something like CrossFit. Except for sex. So yeah, yeah, that's definitely <laughs> it's completely the same thing. different. Um, he was so rude. <laughs> <laughs> if I look back and I say something like, okay, so when I started CrossFit, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. Right, I had some idea of it from college baseball because we did some CrossFit, but we did all the shitty parts of CrossFit, and I lost a bunch of weight, and I hated it. And then when I got reintroduced to it, we never did Olympic weightlifting, and I fell in love. I was like, oh my god, this is so much fun. And then I remember those hours and hours that I spent in the gym just trying to add five pounds to my snatch or just 10 pounds to my back squat, and it all mattered, right? And there was such a small incremental, like every day there was a new goal, a new focus, and then you lose that. Yeah. Take eight months off, five months off like I did. And you turn back and you're like, I know the effort that it takes to add 10 pounds and I don't want to fucking do it anymore. It's that first initial thing of just like, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. That really keeps you kind of going. And I think that what you'll notice is that when, when I started my first company, the SAGL, right, for Grid, I look back and I didn't know any better. I never started a company. So I was like, I'm just going to do what I think a company did. And my dad always used to laugh at me. He used to call me the kid on the white picket fence. He's like, you're the kid that walks on top of the white picket fence because he doesn't know he can fall. And then somebody walks up and like, 
hey, you know that you could really hurt yourself, and then that's when you fall. Because if it's not in your head, sure. you just you keep going know. on. So we, I think we put $500 into the SAGL to start up, and it was literally to buy a domain and to get a couple shirts made. And I spent endless hours creating a site that made it look like it was this conglomerate, right? Yeah. That's what I did really well. I've always been really good at making small like structures seem like they're global. And I go in, and I'm creating the site, and then when we had teams sign up for our first competition, I was going and scouring their Facebook pages and finding the perfect action shot of them because they all had them from the, their CrossFit days. And I'm like putting these things together to make them athlete cards, to make them feel right. And most people would look at that in business and say, you're spending your time in the wrong area. You need more people signing up for the competition. But in my head, I was like, no, 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 because in my head, I'm going to build this page. Then they're going to take a screenshot of this because it looks fucking cool. And a lot of people either were ex-athletes or have never been athletes. have never been promoted the way that I was in college baseball. And I'm going to take this and they're going to take that and put it in their Facebook page. And they're going to share it because it looks something cool that they can share with their friends. And it's going to get that organic exposure. And before our first event ever took place, we had somehow gotten about an $80,000 equipment investment from Pure Strength, right? Having literally never put on anything. We had 10 teams sign up at $1,000 a team. We had sponsors over $25,000. So in essence, we've raised over $100,000 from a fucking website because I spent 14 hours trying to figure out how yeah. to properly promote the athletes. And then we got our first bit of hate mail before the first event ever happened. It was like, I can't believe you're probably just a bunch of old white guys sitting there like, like squeezing these athletes for every dime that they're worth and exploiting them. Blah, blah. And I'm like, Bitch, I have a day job. Yeah. What the fuck are you talking about? I'm doing this on the weekends. I am one of them. I built this league because I wanted to play the fucking sport. And now I've somehow worked my way out of that. Yep. And now I'm only on the admin side. But that's how people look at it. And in my head, I was like, perfect. Think what I, I never even responded to it. Think that we're this conglomerate because it helps the brand. It helps me grow. And I'm just like, but that's what was my first bit of like, holy shit. Like, this was bigger than people expected it yep. to be. And it was just because I had my head down and I was focused on what I was doing. And you didn't and know, what, didn't was know yeah. what was wrong. Yeah, that's a hundred percent it, man. That's where, like, um, to to tie it all back in, those stages when you start the business and you don't know what's wrong, what's right, whatever. You're in a you're in a growth stage at that point. You are 100 just focused on the vision and growing. And generally, for micro gyms, the nice thing is you're able to scale profitability really well simultaneously with growth. So we've been talking growth versus profit, and most people are like, well, I've been doing both. It's just because the initial capital outflow is not very high for a micro gym, sure. especially a CrossFit affiliate. So you can parlay both of them very beautifully. To a both, point. To a point. And then, then obviously your growth exceeds and you're not profitable because you, you did the wrong height, whatever. Um, but just to tie this all back in, it's uh, that it, that is, in my opinion, one of the fun parts of being in the growth stage is especially if you're you're embarking on something that there's not a lot of prerequisite, mod not a, a precedent models to, to look from. You don't fucking know. You're just walking down dark hallways with no fucking flashlight, hoping you don't bump into something. But if you do, like, fuck, I didn't know it was there. Yeah. Yep. Would I knock over a statue? Was that worth two hundred thousand dollars? Like, fuck, I didn't see it. You know. And you just keep going, and you find yourself, you find your way out of the fucking escape room. But the beauty of it is that trying those new things is what teaches you yes. the new filters that you have for the next idea, for the next thing that you're gonna try. Because the truth is, if you're starting from scratch with every new idea, you're fucking doing it wrong, right? Mm -hmm. You should go into new things thinking like that, where you're like, okay, I want to test out this new model, this new. A class that I want to try and so I'm going to start from scratch and I'm going to build it from the ground up and I'm going to try these different things out but in your head you should say okay well if this does work out this is the path and if this doesn't work out this is what I'll have learned from it and if you can't do like so this is my again I can't go with a podcast without fucking talking about these turnkey models of like just giving you the whole basket and be like this is it this is all you need to do and then your fucking gym turns around and it's like no it won't 
Because the truth is, if it does work, well, how are you going to do it again? How are you going to recreate it? You don't even know what the fuck took the first time around, right? So it's like, you have to look at it like, what can I take away from this for the long-term play? And it doesn't have to be an investment. It has to be an idea yeah. that you're like, okay, this is what I'm going to try. I'm going to test these two theories out. This is marketing 101, right? I'm going to A, B, test these things and see what happens. The truth is you have to know that you have enough conclusive, conclusive evidence to know that that was the right path and it didn't just happen to work out. Yeah. So you need to test and rebuild. And I think that that's where a lot of people get lost. They pick something because it seems like the easiest way to go to make the quick gain like, well, I needed to do it. No, you fucking didn't. You didn't need to do it. The other option was to shut it down because it didn't make any sense. But you're going to keep dumping cash and dumping, thinking that that's going to fix the problem without really having an understanding of what you're trying to gain from this new test, this new trial run. And the more you get into business, the more calculated those risks are because it's all opportunity cost. If I'm focused on this, what's declining? Something's declining as my focus shifts. And I think that that's where people really get lost in the growth phase because they're burning money thinking that this one thing is going to work when it's like, yeah, but it doesn't actually help you in the long run, right? Yep. Like you have nothing to fall back on. Yep. This has been fun, man. This was a good topic. I'm glad we did this. Profitability versus growth definitely will be the title of the fucking podcast. Guys, anyone that we're going to see uh, at the Self-Made Summit, if you've listened this far, so we'll see who the real fucking fans are, um, ping me. And if you want to play with me and Joe on Friday as we bounce around, we're, me and Joe are not going to fitness a lot. Like we, if you're like trying to see like three or four different uh, micro gym models, we might go to one with you because I need the vlog content. Um, but yeah, if you want to come hang out, I'll be vlogging. Uh, LC from uh, from newly minted is going to come hang out, and oh, cool. uh, yep, um, and yeah, anyone else is going to be here on Friday and wants to fuck around with me and Joe, shoot me or Joe a DM. We'd love to kick it with you unofficially on Friday, and then the whole shebang kicks off that Saturday. So guys, thank you for listening. Rock on. Buy the remote access if you're not coming to Self Made Summit because <laughs> my kids' diapers are expensive. Bye. See ya. <laughs>